Father, we just want to say thank you for being good. We want to say thank you for letting us see your goodness in services today. And Lord, that we could be a blessing and encouragement to Brother Franz and Miss Sonia. And Lord, that we can trust you in spite of the circumstances that are there to know that you are working and you want to do something. Lord, we're thankful that we can rely upon you, that we can see your hand moving. We thank you for the safety that you provide for us. And Lord, we thank you for even these occasions where real danger is exposed, that we can still know that it was you that was doing the work, protecting us and keeping us. We thank and love you, Lord, for being so good and gracious. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. And uh, we have been through the Sermon on the Mount. This would be uh, our second exhaustive time, but many, many times different parts of it. And and I was just praying about a, a little bit different approach to the Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, and I believe that uh, the Lord has helped with that. It's just in my own mind. And uh, I got to thinking that oftentimes, especially as we're taught to prepare sermons and, and to communicate effectively, that normally what you do is you introduce your message, and then you build on what you introduce, and then you sum it up. And I thought, well, you know, that is just such a standard approach to to preaching. And I started looking at the Sermon on the Mount and saying, maybe there's something more to these Beatitudes than just the first part of the sermon. And uh, I, I believe that what we'll find is if we go uh, go through the sermon point for point here, looking at those Beatitudes, we're going to find Jesus explaining them to us, each and every one, uh, in detail, in living color, we might say, and would put them in a little bit different and better understanding than maybe all of the illustrations and things that we have used. I mean, we've been at this eight weeks. We've been going through the different ones. and But uh, let's just pick up where we left off in verse 20. For I say unto you, of chapter 5, verse 20, I'm sorry. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, what Jesus is trying to do here, what he is preaching about, is entrance into the kingdom of heaven. And, of course, the kingdom is the place where the king rules. Heaven is the domain of God. Jesus and God sit on the throne there. Read Revelation 4 and 5. And there's really something wrong with you if you don't want to go to heaven when you die. I've met some people, but most of the time when they make that statement, they're either just thinking that somehow they're going to shock a meek and humble preacher. And yeah, just, you know, you're not going to shock me. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, if you want to be dumb, that's your business, but don't advertise it. 
I mean, how foolish can a person be who says, I want to miss heaven? And yet, the world's full of foolish people. We, we don't run out of foolish people, unfortunately. But most honest people, even the ones who claim to be foolish, when they're all alone, just them and God, they don't want to die. And if they do, they don't want to go to hell when they die. Nobody does. And so Jesus is trying to help us understand what it means to go to heaven. How many of you have had the opportunity to witness to somebody and they don't receive the gospel? It's, it's, uh, it is a tragedy. We try. We, we preach. I mean, that is the pastor's job is to present the gospel. And this is what Jesus is doing here. And it, it keeps coming back to blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean? Well, let's, uh, verse 20, Jesus is summing up everything to this point. He's saying, unless you have a righteousness that exceeds anything known to man, you're not getting to heaven. What did he tell Nicodemus in John chapter 3? Except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God, cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, we pick up in verse 21. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. Now, does anybody not recognize, Thou shalt not kill? One of the Ten Commandments. God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses and 603 others, by the way, on Mount Sinai. And one of those commandments was, Thou shalt not kill. Now, it is still wrong to commit murder. And we could go on tonight, and I am not going to... When a soldier is in a battlefield in a war zone and that soldier is faced with killing an enemy, that, that's not what this verse is talking about. Uh, we, we just don't have time to build all of that up tonight. This verse is talking about murder. This verse is talking about when one human being decides it's their job to be God and end the life, of another human being. And this is really what is happening here. And Jesus is using this to illustrate the point to help us understand what being poor in spirit is. Because he says, this is the law. Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. God's eternal judgment. Verse 22. But I say unto you, Uh, wait a minute. What has Jesus just done here? Does everybody see that? He says, they say of old time. Now, he's pointing a finger at the scribes and the Pharisees because they are the ones that are promoting the law and teaching the law. If you were going to, to learn anything about the Bible in Jewish culture, you were going to go to synagogue and who was going to be your teacher? Pharisees. Scribes, the, these were the people who taught and read the Bible. So, 
Jesus is pointing a finger, but ultimately, everyone understands this is one of the Ten Commandments. God wrote in the stone with his finger, thou shalt not kill. And Jesus says, but I say unto you. He just put himself on an equal footing with God the Father. Do you see that in the text? Hello? Go like this, it'll keep you from going to sleep. I'll, I'll try to not be too long tonight, but it's cold and just just the perfect night for a nap. But if you take one now, you won't sleep right and you'll wake up grouchy tomorrow morning. So stay awake for the next hour or so and then we'll send you home and everything will be good, right? But here, here we have this statement. Jesus is saying, but I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Jesus said, listen, if you've been angry without a cause. Now, how many of you have been angry with a cause? Yeah, I got got reasons. Well, let's... uh, Take a moment here and jump the text, if we might. Uh, Chapter 6, please. Chapter 6. Verse 14. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Now, what has Jesus just done? He has taken that cause uh, phrase here, without a cause, and he has just went. You see see where we're going here? You see, Jesus had to put that in there because what had Jesus already done one time? John chapter 2. Do you remember what Jesus did? He made him a whip and he went into the temple and he drove out the people that were selling and cheating and stealing. Do you think Jesus went in and went, go, go, go. Please don't do this. This is not right. I I don't think so. I mean, when he asked the disciples, who say men that I, the Son of Man, am, some said, Elias, Elijah, John the Baptist. So I I imagine Jesus came running in that temple, flipping that whip, tearing up and overturning their tables and scaring the living daylights out of those guys. How many of you are with me on that? Um, It says an angry countenance driveth away a backbiting tongue. Now, how many of you are old enough to remember making your parents angry with good cause? Would you admit to that? I will. You see, what, what Jesus is saying here is, 
There aren't very many causes for you and I. Most of the time when we get angry with another person, we're in the wrong. But if you have one of those modern versions where they take this out, whosoever is angry with his brother, then Jesus would be condemning himself for being angry, wouldn't he? And that's one of the reasons we reject these modern versions. They try to make it simpler, but in making things simple, they make it contradictory. That's why the NIV is a worthless translation. Oh, but I understand it better. Yeah. That's just like taking a trigonometry book and replacing it with times tables. Oh, yeah, you're going to pass the material, but you haven't learned one bit about trigonometry. Sorry. You don't do that with the Bible. We, we need to have all the words. Amen? And so Jesus is taking the standard. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not be angry. Now, how many of you admit being angry for the wrong reasons? Having some selfishness attached to your anger. All guilty? All guilty. So what happens? Jesus just said, listen, here's the standard. False anger directed at your brother is equal with murder. How many of you just failed this test? I have. I failed it. You failed it. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Welcome to the realm of poor in spirit if you accept it. Because we can't go back and change this. You know what? There's, there's this thing here, the next phrase here. It says, And whosoever shall say to his brother Raka, uh, vain fellow, it is what it shows up in my little text here. It's just a dirty name. Stupid idiot might be a little closer to the modern English translation of that. Shall be in danger of the council. Now, what did he mean by that? Well, the Jewish people still to this day have very strong traditions. And one of the greatest sins that you can commit, quote unquote, in the Jewish community is to publicly embarrass another person. Doesn't that sound a little trite? But how many of us would be better off if we didn't try to or have someone try to publicly embarrass us? Wouldn't that be a nice world in which to live? But this was part of their traditions. It was treating people the way people ought to be treated. We, we don't just go around calling people names and, and accusing people of being worthless and ridiculous and And sometimes, I'll tell you, even as your pastor, we look at some of these things, these politicians pull and and are doing, and you're just sitting here looking for adjectives that you can use to try to describe the level of foolishness that is going on in our society today. But look at the next one here. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. 
Now, I believe that we need to let the Bible do our definition here. What is the biblical definition of a fool? Several times in the Psalms. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You know what? We, we do have laws, unless your name is Trump, that people can only say certain things about you before they get in trouble. Now, if your name happens to be Trump, they can say anything they want. And they can't get in trouble because that's a good thing. And we need to, we need to, we need to pray for our president. Amen. We, we just really do. But the, the point that Jesus is making here, he was talking to Jewish people and falsely accusing or slandering your neighbor would get you in trouble. It would get you brought before the Pharisees and judged at the local synagogue. And, and there, there might be some, uh, they could impose a, a, a public beating on you. They could impose fines. It, it was not a pleasant thing. But here it says, thou fool. You know, when we begin to put ourselves in a place of judging other people's souls, we're treading on very dangerous territory. You know, we can get so comfortable with the fact that Jesus saves and saves eternally that we can get careless with souls of people we meet. I believe that's what Jesus is trying to help us here. Being angry or being careless with someone else's soul is going to bring us into direct judgment with God. Hello? And I will tell you, just with the anger, same thing with the anger, All of us are guilty of this at one time or another. You know why? Because we've run out of us. What's the definition of being poor, by the way? Not having what you need. Amen? We do not have what we need to control our own anger. We do not have what we need to honestly stand before our fellow man and Deal with them. And we come here to this next, and it almost would seem unrelated, but I want to challenge you. It's not. Verse 23, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way, and first be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. You know, it's, it's easy to come to church and offer praises to God. I mean, the, in the day that Jesus talked, you actually stood in line at the temple. You would buy the appropriate sacrifice, usually the lamb, the doves, the, uh, uh, even upwards of a bullock. I mean, could you imagine standing in line with Hundreds, sometimes even thousands of people there. And, and there would be a row of Levites accepting and you, uh, accepting those sacrifices. And you would come in and you would confess your sin and put your hand on, hands on the head of that animal. And you would publicly confess your sin and the Levites would take that and kill that and 
The priest would take it in and offer that animal upon the brazen altar. I mean, it was, it was a process. But how many of you have ever done this? You got something going on with another human being. And you say, well, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to make things right with God. And you do absolutely nothing to make things right with the person you got the problem with. You see, what Jesus is addressing is worship to God is not a band-aid to fix spiritual dissension. In fact, you and I can't fix spiritual dissension. Only God can, can't we? And the next one, he takes it another step. He says, Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, Thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Now, I don't watch TV, production TV as a rule. I don't have cable. I don't want that. Uh, I just, but in the barber shop, I've been there a couple of times and they were playing these, um, what is it, Judge Judy and some of these programs, and they're not judges, by the way. They, they're not allowed to televise a real court case. But, but these are people who wear the title judge, and they agree to bring their little grievance in. And, and, and the funniest thing is, before it all starts, do you think you have a good case? Yes, the judge is going to decide in my favor. And then they go over to the other one. Yes, this, this person ripped me off, and I'm going to make things right today. And then, I, remember, I just remember seeing one of those, it was, you know, forced. I was just sitting there just trying to not pay attention. But whatever the judge did, everybody was mad at the end. Not, oh, this is cool. This is my kind of case. Because the judge finally did something to torque everybody off because this thing is so dumb, it doesn't belong on TV. It doesn't belong... Uh, there, there is no adjudication here. We ought to just take these people out and give them a good uh, corporal punishment, which they should have gotten when they were young enough to receive it for it to do any good. They didn't, so now we got just a dumb mess. How many of you are with me on that? Here's what Jesus is saying. Don't be eager to take your wrongs before the judge of all the earth. Because let me tell you something. When God sets the record straight, He actually sets the records straight now, doesn't He? God is going to give perfect justice. You know what we're talking about here overall? We are talking about the things that are most Difficult for us as human beings to control. Anger, bitterness, and that. 
Every one of us is tainted with these things. Are we not? We have sinned. And we can't make it right. And no matter how much we try to make it right. How many of you have ever tried to do this? Well, I, I want to talk and I want to settle this thing and I want to get it put together. When anybody tells you that, you need to understand one thing. The only way you're going to actually settle with them is do what they say. Isn't that true? That's the way human nature works. And Jesus is saying, I want you to understand something. The law says, thou shalt not kill. We understand that. And I, I praise God, I don't think we have a murderer in our midst. In fact, I don't think we've ever had anybody in our church that was even accused uh, of committing an actual murder uh, that, that, that has ever... We've, we've just never had to worry about that. And that's a good thing. Contrary to popular belief, it doesn't happen near as often as Matt Dillon would have you to believe, if you're of that genre, or Arnold Schwarzenegger, or uh, I don't know who the new killers are. I really don't care. Uh, but if you watch a Hollywood movie, I mean, it's, what is it, 10 or 15 a minute? Just to, that, That's called action-packed. Uh, it's ridiculous. It doesn't happen that fast on the battlefield most of the time. You see, but anger and name-calling and bitterness and I'm right and you're wrong, that happens all the time, doesn't it? And really, if we were to stop and honestly look at ourselves, we would all come up, the physical term is indigent. That is someone who cannot care for themselves. Spiritually homeless. The smell of this world and the inability to even provide water and soap to take care of ourselves and to clean ourselves up is that a very pretty picture? But how many would say, Pastor, I think I'm seeing what you're seeing. Would you do that? Otherwise, we've got to start over again here and try to get you to get this. It's, this is what porn spirit is. What's the next two verses? It says, verse 27... You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. I don't think we need to spend a lot of time explaining that. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now, Jesus is using an example of physical immorality here, but it doesn't take very much for us to go through the Bible and understand that he is also addressing the issue of thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not take things that don't belong to you. 
Thou, thou shalt not want things that God hasn't given you. This whole idea. And by the way, I'm not a psychologist. I, I believe most psychology is beyond, is not even worthy of hog slop to feed to the pigs. But here's what they say. If you will think about something and fantasize about something three times, you have put the same emotional stress on your body that you would have if you committed the crime. Now, there's some kook out there that says, well, I thought about murdering him three times. I guess I might as well just get it done. No, that's not what they're trying to say. But what, what they are saying is, if you're sitting here living in a fantasy land dreaming about this stuff, you're still destroying the body God gave you. You're still destroying your mind, your emotions, and you will bring God's judgment on you. You see, if we take just these two points, how many commandments were there, by the way, that the important ones, I mean, they're not all important, there are 613 commandments. The Ten Commandments are the preface, we might say, or the summary of the entire law. Jesus just gave us two. And I promise you, no human being in this auditorium tonight passes two. let alone the other eight. Are, are we getting the vision here? And the more we examine ourselves, the more we will find that we come up so very short, that, that we are poverty-ridden, that we cannot meet the standard of God's holiness the, the Bible, Jesus said in summary here, as he got through the states of blessedness, and then he went on to explain the, the uh, pictures of blessing or how the Christian ought to be uh, uh, perceived in this world as salt and as light. And then the immutability of God's Word, that it cannot be changed. We, we have the entire Sermon on the Mount here. Now he's going to go back. And he's telling us, hey, you are poor in the spirit. Here's how poor you are in the spirit. You can't even control your anger. You can't control your speech. You can't control your desires that are down inside of you. You're always looking and thinking and wanting. And you're a sinful human being. How many of you remember the struggle that you went through? through to accept that before you got saved. You had to fight. You had to get to a point. And we might as well, it's on the outline tonight. We've got a few minutes before 7. I'll try not to be too long. But let's look at these next two, two verses here, verses 29 and 30. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Now, 
in point B under major point six, Roman numeral six there, it says Jesus is using, how many of you know how to pronounce that word there? Hyperbole is that word. Uh, now, a hyperbole is an ultra-exaggeration. It is completely out of line. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He is using an incredible exaggeration. Because let me ask you a question. If your right eye is doing things that are bad, is your left eye doing things that are bad too? Hello? And by the way, have you ever looked at anything your brain didn't tell you to look at first? If your right hand is doing something terrible, uh, where's the rest of your body, by the way? Uh, it's attached to your right hand. Now, one of the saddest and most depraved chapters in human history, and I, I would beg you, do not do any research on monasteries and monks and the monastic movements. It is some of the darkest chapters in human depravity as man cut himself off and isolated himself or herself from the world at large to live pure. Some of the darkest chapters of human wickedness because no matter how far you get away from the world, you can't get away from yourself. You take all of that stuff there and let me tell you, one of the devil's greatest temptations. Nobody will see you. Well, that's one of the reasons church is here. Did you know that? Is because you're supposed to come Thursday night. You're supposed to come back Sunday night. You're supposed to face people at church. People are supposed to see you. You see, that's one of the things that God has given us to keep us in the light. Amen? But let me take these two verses here and just ask you, do you think that could be a really good working definition of they that mourn? Hello? How much mental anguish would it take? Emotional disturbance? To do physical injury to yourself? Tell you what, it's pretty serious now, isn't it? And Jesus is not telling you to go hurt yourself. Far, far from the point here. But I, I don't, I can't explain everybody, but I can tell you a little bit about me. I, I am not a person that tries to be given to emotional movement of great depths. I, I, uh, I kind of like to be the, uh, uh, my, my picture is that pendulum that swings back and forth. But when you're trying to put up a wall, you don't want a pendulum, you want a plumb bob. And what a plumb bob is, is a pendulum with a point. And it hangs in one spot. And you can go up to the ceiling. In fact, we did. 16 feet up. And, and we put a screw in there. And we dropped that weight because 
there's, there's this little thing called gravity. And it pulls that bob all the way down. And you can put a little tiny scratch on the floor. And when you put your uh, um, upright in there, your wall, uh, two by four, whatever you're putting in there, it will be straight. Even if the brick wall goes like this on the outside and everything on the inside. I mean, when we were working at Union, it's hilarious. There is not one square corner in the entire building. It, there just wasn't because people built by hand in 1863. And, and so nothing is square. Nothing is straight. Nothing is in plumb. Except our floor and our walls that we put inside the building. And the door was in plumb before we started packing the frame with concrete to hold it in place. And then it moved. <clears throat> but uh, we'll, we'll just, you just use extra weather stripping. Amen? Uh, but the whole point is here. That sometimes we try to be unemotional. In fact, we just got condemned for being angry and all of this here, poor in spirit. But it wouldn't hurt us a bit to allow God to bring up a little emotion and a little angst or a great deal of angst for our failures and our shortcomings and how sinful we are compared to a holy God. Do you see the illustration here? How it helps illustrate the point that there should be, if we're going to allow God to do that work of drawing us to Him, there's first got to be a realization of our poverty, of our inability to meet the standard. And I'll tell you what, marriage is a wonderful thing. But marriage is a whole lot better with some good emotions. In fact, marriage would be pretty, I don't even know what you would call it, senseless. If there weren't some good emotions involved in that thing. Would somebody agree with me about that? And Jesus wants us to have a love relationship with him. And there are so many reasons we ought to love him. Because he first loved us. He loved us in spite of our poverty of spirit. Amen. He loves us in spite of all of our failures. And it wouldn't hurt for us to pray and ask God. Blessed are they that mourn. Why? Because they're going to be comforted. How am I comforted in knowing and being upset about my great failure? Now, I quote preacher all the time. Brother Roy Thompson and I. He knows everything about me, but he still loves me. Tell you what, a lot of comfort there now, isn't there? How many of you have ever been, quote unquote, loved by somebody because they were trying to get you to do something for them? I don't know anything more hateful than that. But Jesus doesn't love us because of what we do. He loves us because of what he's done. That's where the comfort is, my friend. 
we can be real. We can understand. We can look into this mirror and we can see ourselves as we really are honest and true before a holy God. And you know what? That ought to stir some things up in our heart. And one of the reasons we don't live as holy as we ought to is because sin doesn't upset us anymore. And it ought to. And we're not talking about great horrible sins that you can be put on public trial for. We're talking about the ones that Jesus is talking about here. Sometimes we can fool people and we can be seething in anger and nobody can tell. You know what? That ought to bring tears to our soul before a holy God. Because of the poverty of our spirit and the weakness that is in us. And and I've had some people, Pastor, if I was really honest with everything about I I'd just go kill myself. Why? Wait a minute. You're missing the whole point. Jesus died on the cross because of our wickedness and our poorness. He doesn't want us to mourn just to feel bad about things. He wants us to mourn so that we'll feel the love that He has for us a little more fervently. How many of you could use that? Every one of us. Hello? Does that sound like being blessed to you? It sure does to me. You see, it's all about Jesus, isn't it? I mean, if that was the only sermon I preached till Jesus came back, we'd benefit as a church. We we need to get this. Because this is how you're going to prepare for heaven. This is how you're going to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Because it's not mine, it's Jesus's. But he wants us to enjoy the trip. Hello? Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. Lord, I ask that you would help us. Lord, that you would give grace to work through this Sermon on the Mount in a completely different way than has ever been done by me here at our church. And Lord, that you would give us ability to see and understand and perceive the great love wherewith you have loved us. Lord, we ask that you would encourage us in embracing our complete and total poverty, poorness of spirit. Lord, that we would stop and let the anguish And we could go to many places, Romans chapter 7, when Paul just throws up his hands and says, Oh, wretched man that I am. Yet, Lord, the next verse says, There is therefore now no condemnation. Lord, how much you love us. We ask that you would let our little human minds and hearts Reach up and grab a hold of this great love. Encourage us in this week. 
In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, we'll just not play, but if you need the piano, but if you need to come, we'll just have the altar open. I want to pray at your seat. And we'll get into our prayer time tonight.